Everybody doing? Good, good, good. He is worthy of all glory and worthy of all honor, is he not? Amen, amen. It was a, it was a rough week. Um, about Tuesday, I started having uh, migraine headaches, and it, it, it kind of followed me through the week. And um, just really kind of last night started to subside, and so it's been a, an interesting week, but um, when life is bad, God is still good, amen? Amen. amen. And so uh, we celebrate the Lord on this morning, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be here with you guys, uh, with the family of God and the house of God. Uh, continuing in our journey through Acts in the series, Unstoppable, uh, looking at life in the early church. And as we come to chapter, amen, come to chapter six this morning, God has demonstrated his power through signs and wonders, uh, doing many things that astonished uh, the, those who, who saw and heard what was going on and um, also gave ear to, cause people to give ear to the word that was going forth. Peter has preached three sermons. The apostles have been jailed. They've been beaten. And rather than altering their course because of the, 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 the consequences, the kickback that they've received from preaching, God's word. We've seen them praying for boldness. Amen. Praying for boldness and rejoicing in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And so they set themselves to continue in the call of Christ that came to them from uh, Acts uh, 1 verse 8. Uh, but you shall receive power. Amen. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. The last verse in chapter 5 saying, and in every, uh, rather, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. The witness here is consistent, it's Christ-centered, and it is fruitful. And as a result of God's faithfulness to build his church and the apostles' willingness to yield themselves, as co-laborers in God's mission, the number of believers now hovers around 20,000 plus. The church is dedicated to making disciples. In our text this morning, as we look at uh, the first deacons meeting, we'll see an obstacle and an opportunity. The obstacle is born out of a need that uh, came up in the body that uh, the, the widows were being neglected, according to the text. And the opportunity gives space for people to move from uh, uh, simply being responsible to others to being responsible for others. And we'll share a little more on what that means. And the opportunity also fuels and furthers the witness of the church. And that is, again, the primary issue here. God gave them strict command not to leave and when he, uh, until they received the gift of the Spirit and when the Spirit came. The purpose of that power was to be witnesses. Look with me at chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Here Luke has made a point to talk to us about numbers, and it's been happening uh, ever since the start 
uh, of our time here in Acts, if we look at Acts 2 and 41, it says, so those who received the word were baptized and they're added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2 and 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4 and 4, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. In Acts 5 and 14, more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. And here in Acts 6 uh, verse 1, simply saying that the disciples were increasing in number. And this is something that many pastors guard their heart against, focusing on the numbers, uh, for good reason and also counter to a fault. You see, one can be tempted to, to judge the effectiveness of in, or ineffectiveness of the ministry by how many people attend the services. And it really isn't a good marker for determining uh, whether God is pleased with the labors or not. There are many churches that have tons and tons and tons of people, but the word is not going forth in those houses. Recently, someone shared uh, their opinion on the effectiveness of the ministry of John, the ministry and message of John the Baptist, saying, uh, basically, you know, how could it have been if it ended with him being beheaded? But this is what Jesus has to say regarding John in Matthew 11 and 11. He says, truly, I say unto you, among those born of, of women, there has... Ooh, Truly I say unto you, among those born of women, there has arisen one greater than John the Baptist. So does it sound like God approved of his ministry? It does, doesn't it? Some would say the same about Jesus. He suffered a cross. He didn't triumph as, as uh, uh, people believed in what scripture, they were looking for a, a, a physical king to come and set up uh, a physical kingdom. And so for him to die the death that he died on a cross, a lot of people said that Jesus' ministry wasn't effective. But Jesus accomplished the very thing that he was charged to accomplish. And so the disciples' charge here was to be witnesses. The charge was to go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The charge was to be ambassadors who have been given the ministry and me message of reconciliation, who implore others on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The charge is to go into the highways and byways and compel men to come. And so if we are intentional in witness, if we are dedicated in making disciples, if we, like the apostles in the temple and from house to house, don't cease from teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ, we should see the number of disciples increasing, right? Consistent Christ-centered witness yields fruit. And so again, in verse 1, in these days, the disciples were increasing in number. Not only was this number exploding, and, and so the body was, was quite large at this point, but the body was also diverse. The text tells us that the Hellenists had a complaint against the Hebrews. So you have different people represented here. The Hellenists were Jews who would have spent most of their lives in Greek 
speaking cities as a result of the diaspora or the dispersing of the Jewish uh, of Jews to Gentile nations. Uh, they would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and so they would have been there on the day that the Lord poured out his spirit upon those who were gathered. They would have heard the word as Peter lifted up his voice to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And these Greek-speaking Jews would have, some of these Greek-speaking Jews responded to the gospel and have now made this place their home. And while the Hebrews, of course, were your local people, primary language would have most likely been Aramaic. So not only do we have clashes in language, but we have clashes in culture. Because Israel has a rich culture, and of course the Greek culture um, is, is rich as well. And so the, there was a lot that would have kept these two people from coming together. Their only really reason for coming together, most, much like us, is, is we come together around Christ. Amen. So the text says a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily portion. The original word for the Greek here uh, doesn't, or for neglect, uh, doesn't mean intentional neglect, but rather an overlooking. But the neglect isn't the biggest issue here. Neglect opens the door, but it's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is what happens among the people that are being neglected. In the ESV, it uses the word complaint here, but in the original Greek, uh, the word means to mumble or to grumble, grudge, or murmur. It references the children of Israel, the hearts of the children of Israel as they murmured against Moses in the wilderness. You recall they had uh, a, a refrain every time uh, God would move miraculously and they would come up to another obstacle and instead of rejoicing and, and, and believing that God was able to deliver them much as he delivered them from evil, they constantly set themselves against Moses and said, did you bring us out here to die? Murmuring is a cancer in body life. It turns a grateful heart bitter. It turns the affections of one inward. When scripture tells us that we should uh, think of others above ourselves and more highly than ourselves. But worst of all, murmuring breeds division. And division leads to disunity and unity affects witness. And again, witness is the primary charge of the disciples. The obstacle is not the neglect. It's maintaining fellowship. And we don't want anybody to hear us saying that the issue or the obstacle is not neglect and think that we uh, think that the neglect is not a big issue. The neglect is a big issue. We're not downplaying it. But needs can always be met. But a heart that's been offended, that's a bigger challenge. And we see even in our, in our world today, uh, I love the memes that are popping up on Facebook now. People say, good morning, what are we offended by today? Right? So that's a harder thing to overcome. And so that's why we say that the issue is not neglect, but maintaining fellowship. When people feel undeserved, underserved at a church and they have a few people to give audience to their grievances, it's spreading poison. And it only takes a couple of people, right? Only takes a couple of people to uh, hear the poison and then to spread it. 
But it not only affects the hearts of the person that's spreading it, it affects also the people that hear it. So the obstacle gives way to opportunity for people to move from uh, simply being responsible to to again being responsible for. There should be a shift in our relationship with God and in the body. The heard that or, 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 or thought of that, I, I thought about our, our dear baby Asher. You know, when Asher was a newborn, it was, it was okay for him to sit there and be cute, right? Just lay there. You could put him down, you could walk away, when you came back, he'd still be there, right? But at some point, there are some expectations of Asher, you know, at some point, he should begin to lift his head up. At some point, he should be able to hold his own head up. At some point, he should be able to, you should be able to sit him up, and he stays there. At some point, you expect him to crawl. At some point, you expect him to walk. Amen? So shouldn't there also be a shifting for the body? As a guest, it's, it's, it's perfectly acceptable for you to sit there and look cute. Amen? We're glad to see you perfectly acceptable, as, but as a part of the body, as a member, you have a role to play. There are expectations, or as we say here, family has chores, right? To address the issue of neglect, the apostles turn to the body. Look with me at verses two through six. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Amen, Tom. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Taman, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Just a few observations here. In looking to remedy the neglect, what were they not willing to sacrifice? The preaching. Amen. Witness, again, is the primary charge here. Scripture says in Romans, faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? They were not willing to sacrifice the preaching. So that's why they said it's not right. It's not right that we should uh, give up preaching to wait tables. Number two, in saying wait tables, they were not in any way, shape, or form or fashion demeaning the role or the task of waiting tables, amen? amen? Serving the word and serving tables are both important tasks that have to be done. As a matter of fact, James says regarding the care of widows and orphans, which they're looking to address the care of, of widows here in our text, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their, in their affliction. So God honors this task, God honors this role, so they were in no way demeaning this. He places high value on showing kindness to others, even saying in one text, if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, right? Or the opposite is also true. He said, if you have not done it to the least of these, you have not done it unto me. 
So in saying it's not right that they should give up uh, uh, the preaching of the word to serve tables, the apostles are simply saying that there is, isn't this something that somebody else can do so that we can continue to preach the word? We've had to do that here a couple of times because our pastor is, you know, he's, he's a do-it-all guy. And, and, and we've had to come to him and say, hey, man, somebody else can serve that table. You know, you need to focus on the word. Number three, they didn't look to entrust the task to just anyone. They gave specific criteria, men who are of good reputation, men who are full of the spirit, men who are full of wisdom. Who are the men of integrity among you? Who are the men that are being faithful among you, who are serving faithfully? Look for the men who are currently exhibiting the fruits of the spirit and giving good counsel. Who's already doing this among you, right? Number four, these men were chosen by the body and from the group that had the complaint to ensure that needs would no longer be overlooked. It's hard to overlook the needs of somebody that you're doing life with. Amen? And lastly, number five, all the body, both Hellenists and Hebrews and the leadership, were in agreement uh, regarding the men that were chosen. It says all the all the all the, the body was pleased, right? And the apostles laid their hands on them. So not only did they address the neglect, they also preserved the unity of the body, which was the biggest issue. So with the issue being addressed and the unity of the body being preserved, we come to verse 7, which says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied. There he is talking to us about numbers again. The number of disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In closing, we want to glean, uh, we want to ask a couple of questions. One, what can we glean uh, from their experiences? And what can we learn from these challenges to care and unity in the body? Now, give us just three things to consider and we'll get out of here. Number one, we have to guard against cultural comforts. Amen? Again, I don't believe that the neglect was intentional. I believe it was something that was simply uh, overlooked because I, w I wouldn't imagine that the lives of these two groups overlapped much outside of church life. And so that's how I believe that that need got overlooked in the first place. Uh, someone once asked, why do we talk about race so much here? Why not just focus on the word? We can see the dangers here in our text of just focusing on the word and not respecting the differences that exist among us. Amen? We talk about race in hopes that no one gets overlooked. I'm not sure if you guys have noticed, but, you know, when we go out to eat or um, sometimes when we're standing uh, up here to pray in the morning, and, and certainly when we had our study of undivided, people tended to, to group up with people who looked like them. Did any of you notice that? And what do we always say? Mix it up. Mix it up. You, you have to guard against your cultural comforts. You got to look around and say, okay, I see people who look like me. I need to go find somebody who does not look like me, because that's how you that's how, that's how life begins to overlap and, and, and needs don't get overlooked. Amen? We want to reflect unity 
through our diversity. Our heart is that our identity be tied to Christ and not our culture, but this doesn't mean that we're striving for a colorblind community. We want to, by God's grace, create a space where all are celebrated and nobody is neglected and there's no division in the body because our unity is a part of our witness. Amen? People will know that you are mine and that you have love for one another, Scripture says. And so we do give the challenge to be an active part of a missional community, right? And if you miss a couple of missional communities and nobody has heard from you, somebody will call your phone. Or somebody will, the next Sunday they see you, somebody, hey man, what's up? We haven't seen you at missional. That's why we do that. We do challenge you to be a part of uh, a DNA group. Life in the church is as much relational as it is spiritual. We do challenge you to get out of your comfort zone, to sit by somebody that you normally don't sit by, to talk to people you don't normally talk to, to invite people out for lunch or coffee or over for dinner. And then even we as a church, sometimes we we go to movies together and we have bowling and all kinds of things. And that's very intentional, again, for the purpose of allowing our lives to overlap outside of church activities. And it is in these functions that empower us to discover and meet needs that may arise and preserve unity in the body. Because you'll talk about things at, at bowling, you know, or sitting over a meal that you won't talk about sitting here in service, right? Number two, and this is a biggie. I really want everybody to, to hear me on this. Embrace opportunities to serve. Remember a few weeks ago, we had this whole big thing, why do I serve, right? And everybody that got up and shared why they served all spoke to how their particular role or function serves the witness of the church. Witness is the primary charge, right? The work of, the, the work of community is a work of the spirit. So again, this is why if we go back to the text, this is why one of the criteria of those that they called to serve the body was that they be full of the spirit. Otherwise, we'd have no unity. Nobody would care if anybody else had needs or not. It's the spirit that drives us to fellowship, and it's the spirit that empowers us to maintain that fellowship. But a lot of us, we like to try to be neutral. We want to try to sit in the corner and just blend in and ease in and ease out and not, not really be responsible to and not really be responsible for. But that's not really body life. That's not life as a member of the body of Christ. You know, I was expecting us to have read the church covenant this morning at this point, uh, and we have not, so I'll kind of get into it a little bit just for you guys. Uh, in terms of being responsible to, every member of the church has a responsibility to the church for the items listed in the church covenant. And again, I'll just share a little bit of it for you. Since we didn't read the whole thing, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but share a little of it. One, it starts, we engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit. Remember, community is a work of the Spirit, right? 
So even in looking at, looking at our engagement with each other, coming into covenant with one another, it says we do so with the aid of the Spirit. Why do we need the help of the Spirit to walk together in Christian love? To strive for the advancement of his church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its fruitfulness and spirituality, to sustain its worships, uh, its worship ordinances, discipline, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the, to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. To maintain family and personal devotion, to train and educate our children in the Christian faith, to seek the salvation of family, friends, and acquaintances. This is not something that you can do and not be responsible to and responsible for. Amen? There's, there's no way to accomplish this being a, a, a pew member. There's no way to accomplish this unless you're actually engaging, not just in the body, but also in the activities of the body. Being a part of the body means taking ownership for the part that you play because the part that you play affects the function of another part of the body. You know, why do we, why do we have people who lead worship? Because worship affects the preaching. Why do we read scripture? It's a part of worship. You know, everything we do helps us to lift our focus in here. Everything we do serves to lift our focus upward. Because it's, it's real easy to, to just get caught up in you. Amen. How, whether you got a good sleep last night, you know whether your car got vandalized this morning. I mean, there are tons of things going on that when you come through these doors, you know, there may be singing, there may be preaching, there may be word, but there's something else going on up here. But every part of the body affects the function of another part of the body. See, the problem is sometimes that many of us don't see our roles as important or some of us don't feel like we have a role at all, Right? And so we never really engage. We never really engage. But hear God's word in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 15 and 18. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 18 saying, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you're a part of the body, you have function. You have a role to play. You have to move simply beyond being served to serving. Body life is active. It's engaging. We fight against neglect in the body, and we fight against disunity in the body by getting involved. We get involved to what end? Luke begins our text again with these words, the number of the disciples were increasing, and it ends with the number of disciples multiplied greatly. Again, we don't focus on the numbers as a means of judging our effectiveness or our ineffectiveness, but when the, when the full body of Christ is engaged, we are, when we are consistent in witness, consistent uh, in, in our Christ-centeredness, and we're walking in the unity of the faith, the body should grow. And we've seen that, have we not? 
We've seen that. The body should grow because hearts are responding, one, to the word of God, two, to the unified witness of the body. The word is being preached and the body is active in serving and caring for one another and its unity is on display. People take note. We've heard many people come in, some that join and some who are just passing through, and they say, hey, this place is different. And it's not that we're any better than any other church out there. It's just we really try to be one body. Amen? Number three, and probably the most important, never neglect prayer and the ministry of God's word. The apostles fiercely protected the word. They were downright defensive about it, preaching it. It was not something that was optional to them. The word of God was of greatest importance. Job said, I esteem the words of your mouth above my necessary food. Do we value the word like that? Because wherever the word of God is not valued, God is not valued. And if God is not valued, there's no, there's no use for the body, amen? So how are we valuing the word of God in our lives? Are we attending regular gatherings to hear the word preached? Hebrews encouraging us to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Are we spending time reading God's word, allowing his word to fill our hearts and our minds? Are we praying God's word, allowing his, his word to make, uh, allowing his word to be spirit and life to us? And not simply just words on a page. Communion with God in word and in prayer disciples the disciple. That's not just for the apostles, right? That's for the body. It disciples the disciple and it fuels disciples to make other disciples. And so the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Lord, I pray that he continues to make it so among us. Amen.